0: I believe that there's something that God has put in the gathering of his people when we come together that I don't want to just throw a word on it. Honestly, I have a hard time even explaining what that, that thing that God does is. And it's not a new thing. It's not something that's unique to our current time and situation. It's something that we've seen, we see in the scriptures, even in the people of old, the Old Testament people, God's covenant people, when they would come together, there was something that would happen in the midst of them as their attention their turned upward. Something God would do, not only in their midst, but those who were looking at them. They would take notice. Man, what is it about them? We, we even see this in the construction of the temple. There's the, the most holy place, the holy place, the inner courts, and the outer courts. The outer courts were not there to, to keep people away. It was there to, for those who maybe couldn't go in all the way yet to kind of get, like, get in within earshot and see what's happening with the people of God because there was something when they came together and their attention and their focus was on their king. Have we lost that? so well adjusted to the advance of modern technology that we lose that thing? Now, what I'm not saying is, you know, virtual can't be used by God either. It certainly can. I thank God for technology. I thank God for being able to connect with people even around the world through Zoom or Facebook or whatever. We thank God for those things. But we also know it does not take the place of the physical gathering. We see Paul saying, we see John even, the Apostle John, I think it's in 3rd in John saying, yo, this letter is cool for now, but I can't wait to be with you. Because when we're together, ah, uh, like you ever long for someone? Like that special someone. See, man. see what I'm saying? Y'all, young generation of zeers. I got a bunch of zeers on the front row over here. <laughs> Let me come over here. Yeah, see y'all FaceTime social media live stream i don't understand what it means to like write a letter (laughs) write a letter and wait for them to get the letter and you you know you you have to not just wait for them to get it but wait for them to respond to the letter and then wait for the letter to go in the mail and travel back to you so you can look in your mailbox and read the letter like, oh, she feels the same way. Oh, she misses me too. Oh, yes, yes. There's something about the expectation and the anticipation as it grows uh, through distance, through time. But it does not replace being in the same room. And I do believe that even as us as believers, we await the coming of our Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. With the Spirit of God, we declare, we cry out, Maranatha, which means come, come Lord Jesus, because he is coming back. Are we, do we believe that? Do we await that with expectation and hope? Do we await that with joy? See, here's here's the thing for us. Heaven isn't an escape. If God's put it in our hearts, we get a taste of it now. right like eternity is the zoe it's the life of god the greek word zoe it is life with god now so we get a taste of it now it kind of like wets our appetite, it's like the appetizer but it's not the full course meal we'll experience that one day well as believers we thank god uh, for for heaven and what will eventually uh, be our full-time experience right but, but, but for now, let's rejoice in the appetizer while looking forward to what is next. And while we do that, it helps us to understand what this life is like, what this existence is like, this temporary earthly existence is like. It helps us to make sense of it all. Let's be honest. Sometimes things are difficult to make sense of. Sometimes it's difficult to find God in the midst of my suffering. There are things that happen to us sometimes that we can readily declare, God did not have nothing to do with this. Or God can't get glory out of this situation. Sonny, if you knew what, what was happening in my family right now, you'd understand. So I need things. And then once he changes the things, then maybe we'll look at him getting glory out of it. See, as we await his coming, as we await the full uh, sense of being united with the body, all nations, all people, all tongues, all times, with our Savior, we get to share a glimpse of that now. So my my admonishment before we even get into Philippians 1 here is let's not take that for granted, saints. Let's not take for granted the assembling of the people of God. And as we see one another, it's not just I miss you, but it's something that we have together as we await together what will ultimately be. And it won't just be momentarily. It'll be forever. You see, we're going to read it here in a minute. Paul's, his, his commitment wasn't just to helping the church get mature. His commitment wasn't just to being faithful to what his assignment was. He didn't look at eternity as some sweet by-and-by. I'm going to serve faithfully here, and then one day I'll step into my eternal rest, and I'll have everything uh, before me that I've done, and I'll stand before God, and God will say, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." Like those things will happen. We see this terminology in the scriptures of like streets with gold right in heaven. I can go on and on about the descriptive language that are in the scriptures about this experience of heaven. But please let's not miss this. The point of heaven is to be with him. It's not just the absence of of pain. It's him. It's not just, you know, I get my crown. I serve faithfully. All right, I did it. Like we're, we're a city full of hard workers. We work for years. You know, work at a plant for years, let's say you retire and you get a gift, you may get a watch. Like we work to build up a 401k and then we retire and we we have this this idea about I've I've worked hard, I tried to be faithful while I could, I put something something away, hopefully, and you wanna enjoy the latter years of your life and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But let's be careful as believers when we look at what is next. We're not trying to just escape something. We want to experience the full expression of the glorious one. And it is him and him alone that we live for. This is why Paul could live with the conviction that he lived with. This is why he wrote the letters with the conviction that he lived with. This is why he looked at his suffering and the things that was happening to him the way that he did. Let's, let's dive into it. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 12. He writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to you, Paul? There's a lot of different speculation on what Paul specifically is referring to. But when he says, I want you to know that what has happened, he can be speak, speaking of every bit of thing that has happened to him that has tried to hinder him from reaching or stepping into what God had for him. Now, let's just kind of, I won't do a full uh, debriefing, but I want to just kind of give you a little bit of the kind of things that Paul had experienced up until this point that he could be referencing here. One, there was a riot that was a result of his ministry, a riot as a result of his preaching. There was a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. There was an appeal to Caesar to kind of move on his behalf that had a lot of risk to that as well. Paul was shipwrecked. You ever been shipwrecked? (laughs) Probably not. Like, like these are serious things. When Paul says, a lot has happened, right? He he, he wants them to know that he's still standing and he's not just barely hanging on. There's a perspective that he has because he's looking at the right thing. He could be speaking of what is his current situation of being under house arrest with restricted freedom, awaiting for final word of what's going to happen. Like, he could be executed for preaching he could be killed for this. So, when he says, I want you to know what has happened to me, it's been a lot, it's taken its toll, but I'm still standing. That's not what he says. What does it say? He says, what has happened to me has served the purpose, the real purpose of advancing the gospel. Please hear that. So, what we take away from this is the trials and the stuff that I go through is not because my haters, are on me. It's not because the devil sure is busy. There's something that God ultimately is after and he uses in the good, in the bad, in the tragic. He uses in the tragic. The word Paul uses here is it is advancing and it served to advance the gospel. That word there, advance, is a military term. What it means is literally to trail, to blaze new ground or new territory. Paul says, because, because of my affliction, with all that has happened, it is serving to, to create new territory for the kingdom of God. So, because of that, ah, uh, yes, I'm good. Paul says, ah, I, I got joy. Matter of fact, he says, I can rejoice. You'll see it in a minute here, but what we see in this passage, he's giving us two things. He's looking back, rejoicing what's happened, and he's about to look forward. He says, I will rejoice. (laughs) So in every situation, Rejoice. rejoice. Say it again. We don't rejoice for every situation, but we do rejoice in every situation when we have the right perspective. So Paul is saying all this stuff that's happened, it's working to advance the gospel. Paul knows his audience. Philippi is a military colony. Any veterans in the room? Shout out to the veterans, man. So much respect for you all. I can only imagine what is going through Paul's mind as he's trying to help them understand what it means to embrace this this new colony. They're now a part of the kingdom of heaven. There's now a new citizenship. There's a new person in charge. There's a new commander. It's not Augustus Caesar anymore. Can you even think about that community as a, a, a colony? which founded by uh, Philip, which was the father of Alexander the Great. Some theologians believe that he is possibly the person in the vision that Paul gets, when Paul gets his vision of a man waving him over to Macedonia, waving him over to Philippi. It could be Alexander the Great or his father Philip. So once this, this, this town that was not close to Rome, it was this geography that was under the authority of Rome but also had all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. So Paul is trying to help them think differently about their allegiances. Not only that though, if you've been to war, if you've been in that battle, if you've served in the military for an extended amount of time, you know what goes into the training process. Not just physically, but mentally emotionally. The PTSD, the post-traumatic effects of things they've seen, here Paul is addressing a community that I can only imagine is dealing with the emotional baggage of all of that, and here he puts the gospel on a platter and says this, these, God wants to, to make sense of all that you've experienced. He wants to make sense through the gospel now through eyes being fixed on Christ while the trouble you've experienced, the difficulty you've seen, the brokenness you've seen. There's been conversation about Detroit being a city of those who have lived under great trauma. The traumatic impact of poverty, racism, of homelessness, of a housing crisis. We can go along the spectrum, down the gamut of brokenness and how this impacts a generation, several generations, how it impacts young people, children. I remember my boys were younger, we moved back into the city. Like we used to have to like tell them, like we have conversations about the neighborhood and why the neighborhood looked the way that it looked as they were young. They would ask questions like, that building is not supposed to be burned down, I'm guessing. And it's surely not supposed to be sitting like that for this long. I remember driving my son Maximilian um, specifically to preschool and having these conversations. Um, he's now at Howard um, studying architecture. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I actually ran into a group of Howard students last night, a bunch that are here on break as well, son. And God is doing something with this new generation, giving them a new lens. Here's the thing. What the gospel does the gospel helps us understand that we take Jesus even into the, the social justice hemisphere. Right? Because our father is a father who wants justice and who will enact justice. Yeah. Yes, he yes, he will. You know, so so the gospel helps us to, to navigate the uncertainty, the tribulations, the difficulties, both in the culture, but also that are close to home. I'm supposed to preach shorter today, so I got to move along this passage, Uh, y'all. Let me ask you this. Advance, moving forward, taking new territory. Great. New cities. Great. We're going to be moving around. We'll be on the west side. We'll be on the east side. Shout out to the east side. Sorry. East side side came out for a minute. We're going to go to Corktown. Shout out to (laughs) Corktown. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to move all over the city. But here's my question for you. How is the gospel taking new territory in your heart? Come on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that's off limits? Do you think there's anything that the gospel cannot get its hands on in your life? Is anything that the goodness, the glory of our Christ, his ultimate purpose can't handle in your life? I encourage you to give it to him. See, as we allow ourselves to be touched by him, we receive a touch. And I believe what Paul is kind of getting at here is once we receive his touch, we become untouchable. See, there's nothing that can sway someone that is convinced on the inside. When I say sway, I mean move you away from what you are convinced inwardly, what you know. There's nothing that can change your confession when you're convinced. How convinced are we as a people? See, what we've been given is not a set of beliefs on a sheet of paper to say, hey, repeat this, say this after me, now you're saved. What God has given us is a person. Jesus. Jesus says, i got to go away, but I'm going to give you the Spirit. Now, you have the Holy Spirit if you are born again, who lives in you. Another reason for us to rejoice when we come together. Another reason for the expectation and the, the, the y'all, what up, good to see you. We both have Holy Spirit when there's uni- union and unity in that way. So this, this, this is something that makes what we, who we are and what we do so much different than so many other religions. Religions. This is just not about making your life better. We've been given something that God has called us to be faithful to and that starts with allowing him to take more territory in our hearts. So Paul has come to this place. This is why he can say that it is all used to serve the advance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ. That is an estimate of about 9,000 elite guards. The imperial guards were an elite group of guards. About 9,000 of them. Paul is saying, because of how I responded to all that has happened to me, what does he mean? He preached, (laughs) he turned the attention to the king, They took notice. So he's saying here, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Are you looking at your earthly circumstances, the devil being busy? Or is it an opportunity for Christ to be made known? Is it an opportunity for those who are looking at you to see, man, what? I I saw them go through that. They're not like complaining, they're not crying whoa, it's me. Like, what is it about them? I Heard a story recently of a Australian man who grew up in a home where his parents were not believers. And uh, his mom became friendly with the neighbor. And the neighbor was a woman of strong faith, of like deep conviction. She served the Lord faithfully, she was a simple older woman, but she was faithful in her love for the Lord, how she loved others, how she loved her neighbor. And she got some awful news one day that she had taken on this incurable disease. And there was nothing the doctors could do. They gave her a date, an expectation of how long she can expect to live, and the woman never complained. She rejoiced. Now. We could say, like, why did she rejoice? Did she know how God was going to use that situation? She rejoiced because she had confidence and hope in the one who had saved her from sin and shame, the one who had saved her from the clutches of eternal death. Death, She was grateful and she rejoiced. And the, 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 the young man's mom just didn't understand that but said, I want what she has. The woman ends up dying. Her neighbor gets saved after her death. When she gets saved, she eventually leads her whole household to the Lord. Her husband gets saved, her son gets saved. Her son ends up growing up, walking with the Lord, going to seminary, becomes a missionary and a theologian to the continent of Australia and India. God used this, this young, this young man. the little super old lady who had this incurable disease, you think that, that she knew? If someone would have told her, yeah, if you rejoice and this lady's going to see you and, and she's going she's gonna to win her whole family over and they're going to grow up and do great things for the kingdom of God, then yeah, it may have been a little easier to rejoice then. She didn't know that. So you have no idea the impact you are having, the journey that you are having. There are things that we will never know. Yes, sir. The Winans used to have an old song. Some of y'all don't know about the whinings, man. Detroit, legends, the whinings. For we may never know all the things that we have done. For we may never know. I do not mess the lyrics up, but, but the song says we, we don't know the totality of how God is going to get glory through our life, through our suffering. And it's not our job to know. Our job is to keep our eyes fixed on him. Paul is saying this is what I'm doing and it's making an impact. continue reading verse 14 and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment well then Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Have you ever had somebody, like, look at you and, like, plan your harm? Like someone, look at what God is doing in your life, and maybe even put on the face on the outside, like they are rejoicing or excited about you, but you know it's killing them on the inside. See, another story. There was a, this is actually an old early church story from the 4th century where there was a godly hermit who was living faithfully before the Lord and some inexperienced demons were trying to take him down, right? And they would throw sexual temptation his way, wouldn't stick. they try to put the the lure and the, the lust of like power and control, throw that at him, wouldn't touch him. So they go back to the enemy. They go back to Satan they say, we can't like get this man. Like what is it about, what is it about him? And he says, you're being too hard on him, Satan here. He says, you're being too hard on him. Throw him some some good, but not to him specifically, around him. (laughs) Tell him that his brother has just became the Bishop of Antioch. So they go back and they tell this golly hermit that his brother has had this door open up. And while the sexual temptation didn't work, the allure of power didn't work. Envy and jealousy did. He began to look at his own life and like, man, I've been serving faithfully, God. But did they not see what I'm doing? Like, God, what what is this about? See, this is another one of Satan's plots and plans, family, to pick us apart. What Paul is saying is, yeah, there are people who are envious of me. That happens. And as we are gonna serve faithfully, we should almost expect it. However, Paul ain't tripping. Paul is not like writing about, you know, his haters, (laughs) he's not like, you know, trying to, he's not trying to teach them a class on how to spot your haters, like he barely gives it attention because his focus is on Christ. Like I want to sound like a broken record, I want to drive home the point here is that our eyes become fixated on the one that truly matters because when we're looking at him correctly, it makes sense of everything else, even the haters. Even the persecution. ah, That may not be a popular message. (laughs) Come on. Come on. So Paul says, again, in that I rejoice. I can say so much more about that. I'm going to move on. And I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death please don't miss this verse 19 for I know that through what say it again through your prayers and through what else So what Paul knows here, that there is this this agreement, this working together with heaven and earth, the prayers of the people of God, the prayers of the church of Philippi. See, Paul knows they've been praying for him, but he also knows that it is the Spirit of God who is at work here. Let me give you one little tidbit as you're reading the Scriptures. Always look for evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yo, it will shape everything, I promise you. Oh, God. Like we can't, matter of fact you can't properly see the Holy Spirit is not like not hype he's not tongues he's not the expression of the gifts he's a person he's God he's God and I love here how Paul says the Spirit of Christ like when he comes on the scene what he's doing he's pointing us back to Christ So what Jesus said was that he would indwell us. So as he indwells us, we now have the ability, we have the power and the authority by the Holy Spirit in us to do what Jesus did, to live like Jesus lived. Are we getting this? Are we living that way? Like for me, like this shapes and it changes everything. Paul says there are two things working together. One, prayer to the Holy Spirit. They go hand in hand for us as believers. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray and he's helping them understand uh, when he ends the section on this is how you pray, we traditionally call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, he ends that, that, that section there by saying the Father will give the Spirit to all who ask. We see this connection again with prayer and the Spirit. This Holy Spirit is connected and moves through our our prayer. Can I encourage you to never ever be, uh, allow yourself to fall into a season where you're not praying. It is almost, almost a death sentence. And by death, I mean being robbed as a child of God of the life and the power that God has made available to you. Now, I want to I move this to us, not just to you, it applies to you, but to us as a people. One of the marks of the early church was their commitment to praying together. I came home Saturday from the men's meeting. I can see in my wife's eyes, her eyes were lit up. The women had an amazing time in prayer, almost 30 women on the line praying together. We had about four guys at the men's meeting. <laughs> brothers, we have to do better, brothers. It's not a competition, but... A little bit, it is. But. <laughs> when we come together to pray, to dialogue about the Lord, to rejoice in Him in seasons of suffering, in seasons of hardship, in seasons where God is opening doors and doing amazing things throughout every season. But the early church has this commitment to when they come to, came together to pray, there was an expectation that God would move. What Paul is saying is, your prayers. And the spirit, the spirit of Christ, are working for my deliverance. Now, what kind of deliverance is he talking about? Is he saying being free from these immediate chains? Is he talking about the ultimate deliverance of his soul being delivered, his spirit being delivered? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's continue reading here. I wish I had more time. Paul goes on to say, I'm going to pick up at verse 20 as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is good. That's his big idea. That's our big idea this morning. That's the big idea of our lives. This is why God has saved you. Can we say this? Can we say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? No, it's not, he's not giving out either or, life or death, he's saying no, both. (laughs) Now, if you can't say for me to live is Christ, then you cannot say for you to die is gain. I wanna ask you to put into the blank line there in our minds, why are you living? What are you living for? Go ahead and fill fill that out real quick with as many options as you can come up with. For Sonny to live is because whatever you fill that blank with will speak to what death means to you. See, if I live my life seeking my own pleasure, for me, remember he, he starts off for me, for me to live is if I say for me to live is sexual gratification, then death will be the final unveiling of physical pleasure, it's empty. If for you or for me to live is, is entertainment or is, is power to get as much power and notoriety as I can, or for me to die, well, I'll be left with the emptiness of power. People may, may, may fear me, They may be around me because they're scared of what's gonna happen to them or because they think they can get something from me, but I'm left all alone. The only way we can say that that death is a gain is if we are living for Christ. For you, for me, for us. What is that? What is that in the line? You know, in the Greek here, what we read here doesn't even capture the beauty of this passage because there's, in the Greek there's no verb. (laughs) What he's saying, for me to live Christ, to die gain. <laughs> you know, p- for Paul, is just so matter of fact about it. Like we can throw in other verbs as the translators, they put is here. We could say, uh, you know, for me uh, to live depends on Christ. Or right, We can throw in different verbs there. But, but the point is, living is only about him. So it defines how I live. He defines how I look at my life. He defines the things that I experience in my life. Uh, Living means Christ. Living means honoring Christ. Living means living like he's everything to me. Verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. (laughs) Like Paul has this confidence y'all, like this commitment that whatever happens, his point, his whole objective is Christ being magnified. Like, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Both individually, as you look at your family, as we look at us as a community, as a church, is it that Christ is glorified? Whatever happens, if we go back to Dexter or not, whatever happens, Christ be glorified. If I get this promotion or not, I'm good. Christ, where's your glory? I'm looking for your glory. Whether my body gets healed of this ailment, even if the disease is incurable, right? Whether I get healed or not, God, Father, I want you to be glorified and he's confident about it he he's lived and he, as he's gone through all he mentioned all the stuff that's happened to him. he's he's he references it like he's saying yo if I if I don't get free from this house arrest I want Christ to be glorified like even as I was being shipwrecked as I'm going through that I want Christ to be glorified as I'm I'm being stoned as I'm in this riot Christ where are you? If, if you get, if you get the most glory out of free me from this situation, amen. If not, amen, because I want you to be glorified. Whatever, like can you imagine the demons and the, the wickedness around him and they're like, man, we can't get to this guy, what, what the heck? We cause a riot to break out, he's, he's like Christ, I want Christ. We challenge him with death. I want Christ, (laughs) so death is fine. All right, cool, we'll let you live and we'll just make sure you suffer. (laughs) It's all about Christ, dying, dying is gain for me. Like what gives? That's his perspective, what is ours? Detroit Church, we spent the first couple months at Spain Elementary School in Midtown Detroit. A couple months in, or less than that really, I get a call, there's lead in the water. Time for us to go. It was said to me. I'm like, no, we're not leaving. I can just imagine though, the enemy like, yeah, I'm gonna put lead in the water. Not just for Detroit church, right? When I'm not saying we're like, you know, the enemy's only target, not at all. But he will use all kinds of things to get us, cause us to be distracted. The principal gets indicted, spend some time in prison. DPS effectively kicks us out like, all right, I gotta go a lot of stuff going on. Enemy moving behind the scenes, all these things to get us to, to question and to wonder what's happening. I'm getting emails from people who are questioning, like, what are we gonna do? What's gonna happen? We move, we leave there, we move next door. We're there, God moves, we start growing. The principal is like, oh, this is great. The principal's a believer, said, so this is great. Oh, y'all have to go. This is temporary, we can't have y'all here taking up all this space all year long. Fine, amen, thank you for allowing us to be here. We leave, and then we go to the majestic. We're there, majestic and magic stick. We had a time. We're worshiping and praying, uh, preaching the word. There are needles on the ground, alcohol on the ground. It's all good. I love it. (laughs) Not real needles, but could have been. Could have been, right? Not before long, the owners come and say, hey, love you doing this. It's great, but price went up. Y'all got to go, unless you can pay this amount. All right? is we out. Like, time after time after time, again, a door was closed. Like it can be easy for us to look at that as like, man, are we like, God, did you really call us to do this? If our eyes and our hope is on a facility or a building. But when your hope is on Christ, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, if he endured, then so can we. And he endured. For the joy that was set before him. Family, there's a joy that is set before us. So we ended up moving a bunch of different times. If you've been with us, then we've lost count. (laughs) Amen, but we're still standing. So I hope it's not in the facility. It's in the risen Christ. And the spirit of Christ who indwells us. I pray today that God will give you the eyes to see the circumstances in your life. As almost... A puzzle that's already been put together. Yeah. That the divine solver is working to advance his gospel like he was in Paul's life. That's all I want for us, family. That's all I want for me. Yeah. I tell my children, I don't mean to scare them. I don't know how long I'm gonna be here. My eye, my 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 mind ain't wrapped around that. I want to be faithful while I'm here. We, we gotta get healthy, amen. We're about to you know do some things to get healthy. We wanna you know, be good stewards of our physical temples while we're here. But we are living for something beyond the here and now. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.